as you just kind of remain right where you are, I want to remind you of what the Lord has been speaking to us. In Luke's gospel, I want you to picture what's going on today in this service. And I want you to think about what was going on so long ago in the Holy of Holies when the priest Zachariah entered into the Holy of Holies. And he was just going about his responsibility, his affairs that needed to be taken care of. Zacharias was the one who was chosen by Lot. To him, it was a random opportunity, which certainly God uh, chose and God ordained. And he was doing what he had been taught to do. He was doing what had uh, been what he had been trained in and he entered into the Holy of Holies and he was offering incense and saying the formulaic prayers before the Lord that had been repeated before him over and over and over again by other priests. This was his one time. He may never have been chosen ever again. And on this one time he does what he had been trained for a lifetime to do, but it was to be an ordinary time just like everyone else who had entered in. And they would go in and they would enter and they would say the same prayers and offer the same incense day after day after day after day but it was this one time this one time when God showed up this one time when an angel came in and he met this man while he was doing the ordinary the regular the 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 everyday sort of thing that the priests were required to do there was this one time when everything changed Because it was the season for change. The season had come, and it was the time for change. It was the right time, the right man, the right day, the right opportunity. And God begins to move, and God begins to work. Longing, praying, seeking, wondering. And one day, everything changes. One moment in time, an angel appears, changes everything for Zacharias, changes everything for the nation of Israel, changes everything for you and me. Yeah. Jesus changes everything. Don't ever think that a pastor always knows what to do. Because there are times when I stand here and I don't know what to do. And I keep praying over in my mind, Lord, what should I do? What do you want to happen here? What is your will and your plan in this moment? And I believe that God has spoken to us through his word. As sure as I'm standing here, this word that we have is as inspired, is inspired. It speaks to us as if the Lord himself were speaking to us from his very lips this morning. This is how much trust and confidence we must put in these words of scripture. And in Luke chapter 1, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Zacharias, he said to him, You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at this son's birth, John the Baptist. 
For John will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Spirit while he is yet filled with the Holy Spirit while he is yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It, will, it is he who will go as a forerunner before him, before the Lord Jesus in the Spirit and the power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zacharias said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring to you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Heavenly Father, we come before you in this moment, standing firm upon the promises that you have given us, that your word will be fulfilled in its proper time. Oh God, we pray right now that by the Spirit, as you have moved upon us, as we have sung, as we have lifted up our voices, as we have praised you, oh God, that you will be with us in the preaching of the word. God, that there will be conviction and transformation by the power of the Spirit. And so, Lord, we cry out to you this morning for a continued visitation of your presence. We need you, O oh Lord, in this day and time, O oh God, when the world is going off its rocker, it seems, when it is flying off of its axis and people are grabbing hold of things that are meaningless, oh God, I pray that you will get a hold of us as a church and help us to preach the true gospel, to teach the true gospel, to live out the true gospel, oh God, that we will be a people empowered by the Holy Spirit who lives as the word of God God speaks to us that we should live. And that as we read in the book of Acts, and as we see the deliverance and the power of God, I say, oh Lord Jesus, do it again. Do it again in our day, oh God. Do it again in our day, oh Lord. Heal, deliver, save, release from bondage, oh God. Do it today, we pray, oh Lord Jesus. We stand upon those promises to come to you, each and every one of us who are weary and heavy laden, for you will give us rest. We exalt in you in the name of Jesus, we pray, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. May be seated.
You know, there are seasons, Sister Dolores shared this scripture. I believe it's from the Lord, but there are seasons of time where God does certain things. And what is necessary for us, what is necessary for you and for me is to be sensitive to those seasons of time, to be sensitive to the seasons that God is bringing and speaking into our life. Um, growing up on uh, a farm, what I realized is that there is a cycle to the seasons of time. As we plant, or certain times of year where planting takes place, or certain times of year where there is fertilization and watering, and there are certain times of year where there is a time uh, to put the equipment in and to reap a harvest. Uh, I never uh, saw uh, my family who worked the farm, I never saw them begin to plant a field of watermelons in December. I never saw them begin to plant uh, sweet corn in November. There's a season to do it. There's a time when it is to happen. And in our life and in the life of our church, there are seasons of time which the Spirit operates by. And there are times when the ground must lay fallow. And there are times when you put the, the tractor in the field and you begin to disc it up or plow, plow it up and begin to prepare it for the planting that is to come. And as you put the first disc in the ground, you're, you're anticipating that time when harvest will come. Because for a farmer, all of the work, all of the energy, all of the effort is put on the front end. When they begin to buy seed, when they buy fuel, when they buy everything that goes into the tilling up of the ground and the planting of the seed, they don't reap any of that in terms of a financial uh, compensation until after the harvest and you take it and you sell the grain or the melons or other things. You don't reap anything. And so there's a time and a process in order to get to the point of reaping the harvest. And I believe that is what this passage of Scripture is speaking to us about this morning. In God's wisdom, both John the Baptist, who is the forerunner of Christ, and the Messiah, Jesus, came as infants. God could have sent them into the world in any way he pleased, but he chose to bring them into the world as infants. And in their lives, there was a season of physical growth, a season of preparation prior to the launching of their ministry. And that's similar to what we experience in the Advent season. So Advent means uh, coming, the first Advent, the first coming of Christ. The second Advent is what we're looking to when Jesus comes again and receives us to himself. But as the 
first advent. We look forward to Christmas. What it's really celebrating or pushing us towards is this understanding that Israel and really the world as a whole was longing, waiting, anticipating, crying out, desiring for some sort of redemption to come at some point in the future. And there was this long waiting and long anticipating. And so the church created this season of Advent so that for those who would come to church and children and others, we'd kind of anticipate the run-up to Christmas. And that would give us a taste of what it was like over all of these long years to wait and to long and to cry out and to pray and to wait some more for the coming of the Messiah. That's what Advent is about. And that is this idea of actively waiting for the Lord. There are times in our life where we are called to wait. But that doesn't mean we just kind of sit down and twiddle our thumbs and sort of try to just sort of wait and do nothing. In the scripture, always waiting is active. Always waiting is anticipatory, longing for, praying, seeking, seeking the promise of God, searching the promise of God, meditating on the promise of God, praying back to God his promise. God, you said in your word. God, you spoke in your word. And God, bring this to pass. And so Israel in history was longing after. God, you said there was going to be a promised Messiah. They were waiting, but they were actively waiting. Their prayers, their longing, their religious festivals were all pointing towards a coming Messiah. There was a season, though, of preparation. We see this in John the Baptist's life. In verse 15, it says, John will be great in the sight of the Lord. Well, if he will be great in the sight of the Lord, it means it is a process from here to get to there where he will be great. There is a season of preparation that is going to bring John to a place where he will be esteemed as great in the eyes of the Lord. Although John was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, the Scripture says that he will be a season of preparation until he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. Even when John acted on his calling in the wilderness, he was not seen great according to human standards. If you were to think about the ministry of John the Baptist, he lived in the desert. Now, if you're wanting to build a church, the center part of the desert is probably not the place where you're going to want to, where you want to go. It's going to be hot. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be challenging, and that's where John was. He wore cheap clothes, and he ate locusts, so John was not a prosperity preacher. He dressed according to the prophetic tradition, similar to that of Elijah. 
But the greatness of John in the sight of the Lord was not found in his personal comfort or what he looked like or what he ate. The the character of John in preaching the message of the Lord, the coming of the Lord, that is where his greatness was found. His message was to call for people to prepare themselves for what was to come. The kingdom of heaven was at hand. Jesus, the Messiah, would soon take the lead. Just as John had to prepare himself through growing from a babe, through going through adolescence, through beginning in adulthood, through moving from where he once lived out into the desert and beginning to preach his message, just as he had to prepare himself himself, his preaching and his calling was to prepare others to receive the message of repentance and of forgiveness and of Jesus coming not as a Roman, not as a vanquisher of Roman rule, but as one who would redeem people from their sin. John preached and understood that Jesus was not coming as a warrior king, but as a suffering servant to offer redemption. It was those who humbled themselves during the preparation period that were ready to receive the reality of Christ's first advent. When John was preaching and he was saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it was those who said, I must repent who were ready then to receive the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, we see that many of the disciples of John, when Jesus came on the scene, they left John and they went with Jesus because John was preparatory and Jesus was the Messiah. They were prepared because they humbled themselves for the message of preparation that pushed them to be able to receive the word of the Lord that came through Jesus Christ. There is always a preparation period. Think in your own life. There is always a preparation period. The greatness of John was only found in his mission to prepare the way for someone else. John would be great, but only as he gave himself to making Jesus great. John even said, He must increase, but I must decrease. Jesus must increase, but I have to decrease. He clearly understood his message was not to be that he was the Messiah. His message wasn't to be, I'm going to draw all these people to me. His message was, I am preparing the way and someone else is greater. I'm not even uh, uh, worthy enough to just touch their shoe. Someone else greater is coming. A period of preparation. There are always seasons of life for you and for me where God is preparing us for what is to come. It can be uncomfortable. It may not taste very well. It may cause us to be separated from what is familiar to us. Remember where John most likely grew up. He was the son of a priest. He was the son of a priest who had gone into the Holy of Holies. He was the son of one who was considered a high up religious leader. 
He had probably experienced what it was to live in some sort of luxury, to live in some sort of gracious accommodations, and yet God called him to pull away from that or to separate from that in order that he could fulfill his mission to prepare the way for the Messiah. Sometimes we get upset when a lifestyle that we once had gets taken away. Maybe God is calling you to a place where friendships fizzle and family isn't close to you. You must recognize this as a preparation period. In fact, at times I believe for believers that when it is an uncomfortable season, we ought to immediately recognize that God is preparing us for what is to come. And during that preparation season, we must be careful to focus on the calling that God has for us. We want to be great in the sight of the Lord, but that may mean that we cannot be great in the sight of man. There is a period of preparation to help you focus on your calling. John's title or the affirmation that John would be great was not a title or some sort of super spiritual designation that no matter what he did or where he went, that he was going to be great. John's greatness only came as he focused on his calling to be a means of preparation for what was to come. Verse 17 tells us the very specific calling of John. He is to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And he would do this, verse 16 says, by turning many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. Verse 17 says that he would go as a forerunner before Jesus in the spirit and power of Elijah, that he would turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous. John's mission was not just kind of some sort of religious or moral reformation in Israel. It was a spirit-empowered revival where people were called to repentance, where they were called to change the direction of their life from one of immorality or disobedience to one of obedience before the Lord. To receive the coming revelation of Jesus, the people needed to understand that something was wrong in themselves. They needed the knowledge that something is not right here, that I am separated from God, and somehow, some way, there needs to be a bridging between where I am and what God requires and where God is. I need somehow to get into his presence, but yet I am not holy or righteous enough. What is the bridge? The bridge for us is the Lord Jesus Christ. Trusting him, believing in him, believing that when we have uh, prayed to him and we have asked for forgiveness from our sins, when we have repented, when we have laid it at the altar, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and not just to forgive us of our sins, but to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. 
It's not just that you are forgiven, but the Lord Jesus Christ himself has given you a bath in his righteousness. He has cleansed you. He has purified you. Since the inception of Riverstone Church, Luke 1 and 17 has resonated with our hearts. We are a church that is to fulfill our mission and the preparation of what is to come. We are to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This means seeking to turn people from disobedience to obedience, to let people know that their sin is an offense to God. When our teams go on Saturdays or times through the week and they're knocking on doors and a lot of times people don't necessarily want to hear the message. But sometimes you knock on the door and the the heart has been prepared. The heart has been made ready for this message and there has already been a, a humbling within the heart. And one of the things that has to first be confronted with an individual whose heart has been humbled is that your sin is an offense to God. Each and every one of us must realize that our righteousness does not measure up. Our righteousness is but filthy rags before the Lord. And in the moment that we realize that our righteousness does not measure up, the Holy Spirit comes in and says, but there is a Savior. There is someone who loves you with an everlasting love in this sin and this iniquity that you've been in. Yes, you have to confront it. Yes, you have to deal with it. But Jesus loves you and he wants to cleanse you. Turning people to the Lord their God. Jesus and his gracious and loving care through the cross has made a means of restoration. We must as a church speak with prophetic clarity to the situations and the challenges of our day. This is why we must be a place of prayer. We can't simply come in the doors and just be here and whatever and leave and let that be it. We must be a place where we are earnest about prayer because it is in prayer that God reveals himself and opens himself to us. And it is in the place of prayer that we begin to understand the times and seasons in which we live. We have to ask the Lord for discernment so that we can collectively speak with authority to the world around us. This means getting fathers on mission to raise up the generation that is coming behind them. A great spiritual attack that is happening within the church today is the spiritual dumbing down of men and our culture. There are ladies that I can point out by the dozens who are stepping up to the plate and are 
studying the scriptures, that are longing after the Lord, they're at a place of worship, that are seeking God with their whole heart. And what we need is a generation of men who are willing to step up and do the same, to long after God with everything that is in their heart, to long after the Lord and not be numbed by addictions and workaholism and lethargy and lack of biblical understanding, but guys who are willing to step up to the plate and say, I am going to be different than the culture around me. And not only am I going to be different than the culture around me, I'm going to reach back and pick up some of these young men, children in the faith, and I'm going to pull them along with me. I will not let them stumble. Turning the hearts of the fathers back to their children. I believe it is a specific reason why Luke penned these exact words. If you're capable of being a father to children, then you need to discipline yourself to hear from God. Be in his word and train your family in righteousness. If you are a young man, Right now in your life, the enemy is seeking to plant in your soul the desire for youthful lust. This is why the Bible says flee it. And what I can tell you today is that if you're struggling with youthful lust right now and you think, oh, when I get in college, it'll go away. No, it won't. When I get a job, it'll go away. When I get a wife, it'll go away. No. This is why the Bible says flee it in your youth. Get away from it in your youth. This is why we need men who will stand to the plate and say to those teenagers and those uh, almost teenagers coming up behind it, don't look at certain things. Put your boundaries around you on the internet. Put your boundaries around you and the world around you when you look. Don't let your eyes even look on certain things. When your eyes see it, you can't unsee it. Don't let your heart be drawn after certain things. Put boundaries around yourself. Let other people speak into your life. Be open with your struggles. What the enemy wants is he wants to help you keep all your struggles hidden. Oh, I did that. I'm sorry for it, but I'm not going to say anything. So I can just keep it swept under the rug No one will know, and I will never do it again until the next time that you do it again. But what does the gospel do? What we think about when we think about the message of the gospel, the gospel brings light, doesn't it? Doesn't the gospel bring light? The gospel brings light. This is why I was so excited when uh, Brother Chris and Brother David a few weeks ago went to call Pepper to a crack house. <laughs> There's plenty of light here, isn't it? There's plenty of light in this building. There's plenty of people shining the light. 
But I'm so happy when we got people who are going to a dark crack house. And it was dark. I'm told there were no lights on there. I'm told that there were people around who were saying things or doing things that they ought not have been saying or doing. But you know what? The light came in. The light came in. The light of the gospel shone in a dark place. The light of the gospel entered in. That's what we must be doing. But the enemy wants you to keep it hidden. He doesn't want the light there. Because when the light is shown, when the light comes in, then we can begin to work on the problem. Then we can begin to bring redemption. Then we can begin to bring healing. So people fear that in the church. They fear being open in the church. Why? You know why. Judgment. They don't want to be talked about. I don't want to be the whisper trail around the room. But Jesus said this. Jesus said that the wheat and the tares are going to grow together. He said the wheat and the tares are going to grow together. And do you know one of the sure tell signs of how you're going to sell the, the, the tare is the weed. The wheat is that that's producing fruit. The tare is the weed that grows up. And do you know the sure tell sign of the weed? Did you see? Sister so-and-so and what she did. Let's pray for brother so-and-so because he was at a crack house last Wednesday. <laughs> the sure tell sign of a weed is someone who's not operating in the gospel. The sure tell sign of a weed. And what God does in that moment, it's weed alert, weed alert. They might grow together. But when you see someone doing those kind of things, when you see someone backbiting, backstabbing, talking about someone else, that's not Jesus in the gospel. That's not loving Jesus. That's not reformation in their heart, their affections being set on the Lord. And you know, I'm over here. I'm a little farther away. I'm a little more over here because I'm not going to be associated with that because what I want is Jesus. And I can tell you that as a pastor who's listened to a lot of things over the years, who's heard a lot of stuff over the years, a lot of difficult and challenging things, what God has done is to help me see people as people. People as people that are image bearers of God. The vilest sinner is an image bearer of God. It goes back to the book of Genesis. It says we are created in his image. And this is why all of these years from Genesis up to Matthew, there was this preparation of redemption of the image of God. That even the vilest of sinners could be set free. Preparing people for the coming of the Lord means turning people's hearts from disobedience to obedience. Preaching that message of the cross 
that there is a way of escape. God is calling us, I believe, to a time of preparation to focus on our calling, the message, the preaching, the ministry of the Holy Spirit to people who are in need. He is calling us to that season of preparation, to focus on our calling, to speak truth to a dark world. He is calling us to do that because there will be a time of fulfillment that is to come. There is a season of preparation where we focus on our calling because we see ahead a time of fulfillment that is to come. From the last prophecy in Malachi to the angel meeting Zacharias in the temple was about 400 years. And this is what this Advent season is meant to sort of mimic. For children particularly, after Thanksgiving begins this anticipation of Christmas, right? Longing for opening the presents, kind of maybe peeking in areas where you ought not peek, right? My brother and I one time, we thought we would be slick. And under the Christmas tree were our presents, and my mom went off to her mother's, just who lived just across the field. And while she was gone, we thought we'd take a knife and slip up under the tape on the wrapped, wrapped presents and begin to sort of open them up and slip them out really neatly and actually begin to play with them. <laughs> and then slide them back in the paper and put them together and tape them back up and put them back under the tree, and my mother never knew the difference until Christmas Day when there was no excitement. Oh, oh, we got that. <laughs> no sense of this finally, a wonderful revelation of this present. Christmas is meant to bring us this idea of anticipation. It's captured in the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. I, I love singing it every, every uh, Christmas. <clears throat> the words of it are, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. O come, thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save and give them victory o'er the grave. O come, thou day spring from on high and cheer us by thy drawing nigh. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put the flight. See the long, we're in darkness. But come, Emmanuel, enter into the darkness and shine the light. Oh, come, thou key of David, come and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high and close the path to misery. Oh, come, Adonai, Lord of might, who to thy tribes on Sinai's height in ancient times didst give the law and cloud and majesty and all. God, your promises were fulfilled in times past. The miracles and the power that you have done in the past. God, do it now. Come, 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 Emmanuel. Enter in to our suffering. 
Enter in. Redeem us. We're longing for you. This song gives a sense of that longing, anticipation, groping for the fulfillment of the promise of God, and it points to the biblical truth that the fulfillment of the promises of God in your life and in my life do not rest upon your current physical, emotional, mental, or spiritual condition. They rest solely upon God's good and precious promises to you. Your experience is never a determining factor in God's present work in your life. The determining factor of God's present work in your situation are his concrete promises, which, as verse 20 says, will be fulfilled in their proper time. In the proper time... The ordinary becomes extraordinary. The waiting becomes witnessing. Faith becomes sight. And hope becomes reality. Zacharias did not believe that there would be a fulfillment of the words of the angel at their proper time. And he was struck mute so that he could not speak because of his lack of belief. At least nine months of silence not being able to speak about what he saw in the holy place. At least nine months of realizing that while he did not believe the angel's words, the reality that he couldn't speak was a testimony of the heavenly appearance. Yet even Zacharias's disbelief did not stop the promises of God from coming to pass. God is so good and so loving and so merciful that the fulfillment of his promise to you and to me are not determined by whatever experiences we have gone through, but they are determined by his promises that he has given us in his word, which are yes and amen, and we can stand upon them. Even though Zacharias did not believe, John still was conceived. John still would make ready a people prepared for the Lord. John would still be the forerunner to Jesus because God had promised long ago that it would happen, that he would send the Messiah to save his people from their sins, and the time of fulfillment was at hand. Preparation, living in your calling, knowing that the time of fulfillment will come. Stand with me as we pray together. And as we seek the Lord in these next few moments. Some of you here this morning, you were in the preparation period. Remember from Malachi to the prophecy or the angel appearing to Zacharias, there were 400 years. You said, God, you've given the promise to me. God, you've spoken to me about Uh, what you were going to do in my life. God, you've spoken to me about how I'm to be whole, how I'm to be delivered. I believe your word, God. I I read through the book of Acts and I see how you went and you delivered people. You transformed people's lives. God, I see that as a promise that's meant for me and yet I still don't see it. You even feel like the heavens have been cut off. 
God is not speaking. You're in the 400 years where there is no word from the Lord. And what I want to say to you this morning is God's promises will come to pass. There will be a time of fulfillment at the appointed time. God's promises in your life will come to pass. God's grace, God's mercy, his deliverance, his healing, his grace for you, it will come to pass. What you must do in the time of preparation is cry out to him. Do what is ancient Israel did. God, you promised a Messiah. My entire existence will be wrapped around the pointing to that coming of Messiah. If you were to go to Israel today and you were to sit in an Orthodox Jew's house, they're still praying for Messiah to come. They're still doing the same things that were done thousands of years ago, looking for a Messiah that is already here. But they're praying the promise. And so when God has spoken to you about what he's doing in your ministry, when God has spoken to you all about what he's doing in your family. When God has spoken to each one of us about the calling on our life, when he has spoken very clearly about your destiny in Christ, and you wonder, will this ever come to pass? How could this happen in my life? How can this thing even come to be? Zacharias and Elizabeth were old and barren. As good as dead. Impossible for the promise to come to pass. Mary, how is this possible? But with God, but with God, all things are possible. Oh, but with God, that habit you've been wrestling with, all things are possible. Oh, but with God, that tape that continually plays in your mind that says you are nothing, you'll never amount to nothing, things that have been spoken over to you from childhood, but with God, what seems impossible that restoration of your home, the restoration of your marriage, it seems impossible, but with God. Lord Jesus, in this moment, speak to each one of us. Speak to each one of us by your grace, O oh Lord. And God, I pray in this moment that you would confirm to us your power, your might, your ability to save us, your great love to us. Yes, we need to realize that we have, uh, that we have uh, sinned against you, Lord Jesus. Yes, we realize that we have lived in disobedience, oh God. But in that moment, we realize your grace and mercy for us.
And today I believe, oh Lord, that there are those who need to receive the mercy and the grace and the love of Jesus. And so in these next few moments, what I'm going to ask you as you continue in a spirit of prayer, if you are here and you do not know the Lord, the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. The presence of the Spirit that you have felt here today, it is not by chance that you showed up. It is by God's design to tell you that he loves you. He cares for you. He wants you reconciled to him and just cry out to him and he will be faithful to come in to cleanse you, to forgive you and to draw you to himself. For those of us who are in the community of faith who say Jesus is our Lord and Master, that our affections are set upon him. Maybe you have been struggling in the preparation period. Maybe you've been wondering about your calling. I want to encourage you to cry out to the Lord this morning, to ask him to move into your heart, not later on, not at 3 o'clock, not on Monday or Tuesday, not next Saturday or Sunday, but right now, right now that you'll sense the witness of the Spirit in your life.